All right. Hello, lovely Patreon parishioners. Today for our bonus content this week, we are talking a little bit more about the tabernacle. And I know that up to this point, everything's been uncompromisingly confusing, I would say. <laughs> would you would you get nice, on board with me with that description? That's a nice choice of words. That's a good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Not only is the difficulty of trying to figure out the word problem of like, wait, what are they referring to? And also needing some carpentry knowledge and some like foraging knowledge and some, you know, all kind like architecture knowledge in order to figure out what they're actually referring to and everything's in cubits and it's hard. So I found for me, it's like, yes, I've seen the conceptual images that people have made of the tabernacle, but it's hard for me to really get a sense of like what it actually was like or actually felt like. And I found that in the Timnah Valley, which is in Israel, which is a valley that's known for being an archaeological site as it is, like they've discovered a lot of stuff here. Um, Someone has kind of made a tourist park and also built this like to scale model oh, wow. of the tabernacle. Yeah. So I'm sharing a video with the two of you right now. Um, if you go on YouTube and you just look for a tabernacle model and then type in Timna, T-I-M-N-A-H, you can see this video that kind of walks you through this full that scale model. They're far explaining... less grand than I yeah, am right? expected it to be. Right. So in the video, they just showed the fact that it's like the tabernacle itself was only 150 feet by 75 feet, which is still as big for a tent. When you say model, to me, that implies small, but this is like full scale. No, scale, scale model, full scale model. Yes. What makes it a model and not actually just a tent? Um, Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little confused about that. Well, gosh, what a deep question. I guess because they're trying to like exactly recreate it. I did read. It's a replica. It's a replica. Mm, it's okay. not made out of biblical materials. Okay. Um, All right. That makes sense then. Yeah. <laughs> I see this so video just kind of, does oh. say blue, purple, scarlet, white. If it said <laughs> blue, purple, scarlet and fine twined linen, then I'd be on board. Then you'd be in. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. it's kind of interesting. You know, you can go to this park and you can kind of walk, you know, walk in there zooming in on the like silver lintels or whatever the heck it was <laughs> there's the altar out front oh, um, that yeah. has its horns which they have conveniently painted with dripping blood wow. on the horns oh i guess gosh. oh Gosh. I guess those are like the flesh hooks or the meat hooks oh, or something. No, no, no. Those are just like, the horns that part of the anointing was pouring the blood oh, on them. Oh, you're right. The flesh you're hooks right. are something else because those were made out yeah. of what's, brass. What's that? The bronze laver? Yeah. So what's I this? believe that that was like, it was like this basin that was set outside the tabernacle where you would like wash yourself or the priests would wash themselves. It says made okay. from brass mirrors. So this yes. this was from those mirrors of the women outside the tent that they stole from those ladies. Yeah. Okay. okay. So you can walk inside the tent, and they they decorated it with some cherubim on the curtains, just like Is they that said what those that are? they would. They look like people with their hands up. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of some little, interpretive yeah. interpretive cherubim. Okay. Paintings, I believe. Yeah, I guess I assumed these were like very elaborate embroidered cherubim, but maybe they were sort of more iconographic in like they are here. Right. And so they're explaining that the holy place itself where the priests would be hanging out and where like the menorah and like these smaller altars and stuff that we heard about, that's only 15 by 30 feet. So it's actually fairly cozy yeah. on the inside. By 30. Yeah. yeah. Is this supposed to be Aaron? Oh yeah, that's Aaron because look, yeah. he's got his little breastplate on. Yeah. They have these these little mannequins dressed up in, you know, the priestly garments 
as they would. They have their replica of the menorah. Wow. Look at how beaten that gold is. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely some beaten gold. <laughs> um, wow, what are those? That's some like the food. The bread sitting out. That was part of the yeah. Offering. They have the bread sitting the out. Bread. Yep. Yeah, and so if we, they even take you into like the holy of holies. You Whoa. know, like back behind the very special curtain where the ark of the covenant. I didn't think we were going to be. Here. Yeah, I think you're is technically this the not. Ark? Yeah, this is well. It's not the ark, but <laughs> but just to show you, like Look if we that. convert it out of cubits, they say like they kind of translate to the ark of the covenant is forty five by twenty seven by twenty seven inches. Yeah, that looks pretty close to what it was in uh, in Indiana. So, in put <laughs> the, another way, the standard like four yes. four feet long, uh huh, and then like a little over two feet wide and yeah. tall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And conveniently, they've even put a little replica of the Ten Commandments oh, inside, inside there. the with some nice. with a little branch that's blooming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what that is about. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so this video is really interesting because it reminds me of. <laughs> Sorry, this freeze frame you just stopped. Aaron's us rod on just says Aaron's rod, and that's great. Pretty good. It's very. It's of course very beautiful. You would. It's of very course beautiful. You would. Anyway, when I was reading about this particular park, the Timnah Valley Park, there is some controversy around it because it doesn't count as like a national, one of Israel's national parks. And so it's been developed just like into a tourist site. So they're like building a luxury hotel there and like a resort there and stuff like that. And it, it is really interesting. I've been to Israel only once. I went in 2015 and I enjoyed my time there. You know, I was in Tel Aviv and I was also in Jerusalem, but it definitely really struck me just the level of how intense the biblical tourism scene is there. Yeah, that's or interesting. Just the religious tour, like that was the thing that was like both intriguing and also really off-putting at the same time. Yeah, understandably. And for me personally as well, because being there, it was like from a historical archaeological point of view, it's like, wow, it's really interesting to be at the Wailing Wall, you know, just from a history standpoint, or it's really interesting to be at like the Church of the Holy Sepulchre just from a history standpoint. But then on top of it, me also having to confront like, oh, these are all these things that like I was taught as a child. These are very real stories. And these are the places where they actually supposedly took place. And then also on top of it, like just buses and buses and buses and buses of tour groups of all different faiths, right? Like all, all different Judeo-Christian faiths just going around, seeing all these places, people being like so emotional or so moved or like stopping yeah. to pray in the middle of the street or stopping to sing in the middle of the street. Just being like, this is wow. so weird. I'm sure for a lot of people, it's incredibly moving and meaningful. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember my mother like walked into St. Patrick's Church on Fifth Avenue in New York City and like she raised me and is very much not a biblical person or a religious person. And yet like she like sat down and like cried at all of the Mm. people praying because it was very moving to her, like their feeling of emotion regarding all that, which I found very interesting. I cried at the wailing wall. That was the weirdest thing is I was like, okay, I'll go down here and like kind of touch it. And and it's like, but they're like people around you like bawling and like sobbing. And I don't know if it's like a weird, like, psychology thing of like there's a bunch of humans around me crying and so it makes it easier to cry but I was definitely like really struck and then also I guess just like with the meaning behind it or like the meaning that's been projected onto it but yeah being in Jerusalem was definitely like a weird experience full of a lot of emotion and I still don't even know how I feel about it but it is interesting watching this video of just like I don't know I guess the 
the yeah. profit to be found in kind of taking advantage of people coming to the Holy Land for some kind of experience. I mean, Jace, I don't know what your experience was going to church growing up, but I know my church experience was like, if someone had been to the Holy Land, that was like next level. Like they got a gold star if they were a Christian that had like paid for a tour to Israel or Jerusalem or whatever. It was like, you got extra points for that. I don't know if that was something you picked up on as a child. I don't, maybe, maybe just people from my church didn't do that, but no, I don't, I don't remember any specific association with that being like a big deal. I mean, obviously any kind of travel to me would have been a big deal at the time, but, (laughs) but there wasn't, no, I wasn't, we didn't really have that kind of community of that being a big deal. Maybe this, this is terrible, but I almost feel like more the association with people who went to the Holy Land was it was it was just my Jewish friends. Well, yeah, I mean, people do their birthright tours and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. But I almost want to say it was like only my Jewish friends, like in high school. Oh, interesting. And so to me, that it's almost like that wasn't a thing Christians did. It's like that's just mm. a thing Jews would do. I don't know. That's a weird thing to think looking back. No, I've never even considered that's not, it. I don't think that's that weird to think because to be fair, like my parents definitely ran in a crowd of like, I called it the Jewish fan club. It was like Christians that wanted to be Jewish, I feel, or like they really associated with yeah, like messianic Jews, like Jews for Jesus. Yeah. Right. Like they had a huh. lot of friends who were Jews for Jesus. And and so my parents and therefore like the context that I grew up in was very much kind of like, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it. It was kind of like respecting the Jews as like the chosen people mm. and the Christians are kind of in the same boat, but like we really need to respect them and their religion because they were like kind of the the original exactly they were the og but also at the same time it was kind of like appropriating a lot of like jewish Hmm, religion you know it was like a combination of like yeah i don't know i know it made me uncomfortable as a child because i remember even as a child being like we're not jewish (laughs) Um, that's really interesting you know this isn't these aren't our traditions to be taking part in and it being kind of confusing to me why there was this phase for a while when they were like so into into this but yeah maybe that's why it made my journey to israel so complicated yeah yeah i could i could see that for sure so the the thing that i looked into here was we talked a little bit earlier about like who wrote the bible like the authors or of exodus i mm. mean and so i was kind of curious and looked into it a little more and we learned before that like different writers of the bible are given like little letters that kind of stand for them like and they have weird names like this is like the priestly source and they'll be designated with a p or right last time we talked huh. about the yahwist Right. There's the Yahwist. Yeah. So stuff like that. And so apparently this priestly source, P, was accredited for writing like the stuff about the tabernacle, about the the tent of meeting and stuff like that. But in looking into this, I was looking at just this kind of idea of Moses being the author of the Torah, basically of the first five books of the Bible. And what was kind of interesting that I found out here is that essentially the society that produced the Hebrew Bible, authorship was not important. Like that was not a thing Mm. that they thought about. And that's why there's no authors attributed to any of these early books. And this is saying that only after around 300 BCE, when the Jews became in contact with the Greeks... And in Greek culture, hmm. authorship is a big deal. 
right? That's why huh. like we we know the names of these Greek authors like, you know, Plato or whatever, Ovid and right? Plato and yeah. Right. So authorship was a big deal. Euripides. Yes. And so apparently in response to this, the rabbis were like, we need to figure out who the authors are of our books so that we can talk about them and they can be respected within this new community that we're connecting to. And so they ended up identifying Moses as being the one. Huh. And apparently part, like one of the factors is the fact that there are a lot of passages in it in which Moses is compelled to write something by God. Interesting. For example, mm. the Ten Commandments being like, come up right. here and, I, and you're going to write this stuff down that I tell you. <laughs> so it's like he's the designated byline. Right, right. You know, designated by Yahweh. Interesting. So even though he's not writing the whole book, they're sort of like, well, he was the one who was told to write stuff, so maybe him. There are only five books in the Old Testament? In no, the just in the, in the Torah. The first five books of the Old oh, Testament are the Torah. Are the Torah? Oh, yeah. I thought that they... Wow, I really got that wrong. I thought that the whole <laughs> Old Testament was the Torah. Nope. No, nope. yeah. I I had that misunderstanding before as well. So yeah. so that's the thing I is, not is the, book of, the book of Job is not in the Torah. It's much later in the Old Testament. Oh. Yeah. 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 But Leviticus yes. is... Leviticus and is then the third book. Deuteronomy? Uh, no, it goes in the Torah is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the five books. Okay. Wow. So then when we're done with that, we're done with the Torah. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So the whole dang thing. And the Torah, the reason why that grouping of books is so significant is that these first five books of the Old Testament, which are the whole Torah, are the story of the origins and the foundations of the culture of the Hebrews, of the Jews. So that's why, why that group of books is so important. And I think we'll see an interesting shift once we finish the Torah, that then things are going to kind of shoot off in other directions. Whereas for now, we've been relatively focused, or I mean, pretty much completely focused on like, these are the stories of this lineage of people establishing their traditions like in this we learned about passover and we learned about the unleavened bread stuff and like a lot of the judicial traditions and kind of how the society is put together and so we're, yeah. we're going to continue to get that sort of stuff through the torah and like what's the history of these people what's their deal i'm really interested since we're doing this from a chronological standpoint if that's going to change like we're doing the chronological reading, right? Yeah. So yeah. that it's not just, yeah, if that's going to like take us away from a book into a different book and then back again, there and back again, as it were. It's going to take us into The Hobbit. Can you even imagine? <laughs> hey, I just finished those three movies. They oh, were movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I, they I, were I, good movies, but they were movies. I Yeah, I rewatched them over the, the Christmas break. They're great the movies. Hobbit? What are you talking about? The Hobbit movies or the Lord no. of the Rings? No, the Hobbit movies. Lord of the Rings. I watched those too. No, see, no Dedeker. Lord Hobbit of the Rings ones. is completely different. And yes, those are phenomenal movies, but The Hobbit is uh, just a movie. Anyway, getting away from Tolkien, to answer your question, <laughs> um, in this chronological reading order, we're going to go straight to Leviticus, straight through to Numbers. So it, oh, so it okay. looks like, just to give you a little preview, we're going to go yeah. straight through Leviticus, straight through Numbers, about halfway through Numbers. We're going to jump to Psalm 90. 
and read Psalm 90. Psalm just, 90. just the one. Okay. Just the one. And then and keep then on keeping on. Then we're going to keep on keeping on. Yeah. Back to, to numbers. That's interesting. That's incredibly random. And then do we, we go get on to, that... to Deuteronomy? I mean, okay. <sighs> we got to know. Are we going to complete the whole? Yeah, we got to know. It's going to be numbers, 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 Deuteronomy. Yes. And then, oh, at the very end of Deuteronomy, we hop to Psalm 91. That's so interesting. <laughs> we're going to have to uh, do some research 91. on on why that is. Yeah. yeah, that's super random. That's really yeah. interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to this, and I can't wait to like continue on because the next episode is it for Exodus. I feel like we've been here for a long time, but we're almost done. Stay Woo. with us. Come back. <laughs> Come back to us. Come back, please. <laughs> uh.